Welcome to Biblical Perspectives on Aging, the podcast where you and your church will find answers to the difficult questions that arise as we grow older. On behalf of the Baptist Home, this is your host, Dr. Andy Brames. Welcome to Biblical Perspectives on Aging. This week, we continue our interview with Dr. Alan Branch on the topic of eugenics. If you missed last week's episode, we invite you to listen to part one of this discussion on the topic of euthanasia. And don't forget to click subscribe to hear more great conversations on applying biblical principles to aging issues. Here's the rest of my interview with Dr. Alan Branch. So in that last uh, discussion, in, in your last response, Dr. Branch, you mentioned the the beauty aspect that, that our value is in beauty and all of that and i want to shift gears from euthanasia to the idea of eugenics oh, wow. and so one one of the aspects as you know I, I want you to define eugenics but but let me just set this up for us um one of the aspects that that eugenics is is to find those uh those traits and and, and characteristics uh, of a person that is most uh, pleasing that is most desirable and to carry on those traits going forward. So you, you might even tie that into what, what the T4 project was as well. Yeah, true, uh, yeah. So, so yeah, could you, could you just speak to eugenics and kind of define it for our listeners and, and go from there, please? So first of all, let's talk about eugenics. Eugenics is a nasty idea that emerged out of social Darwinism in the late 1800s is what it is. And so the idea is we're uh, evolution has just been controlled by random time and chance from their perspective. By the way, um, when you look at the complexity of the human body, if the evolutionary worldview is true, and I don't think it is, but if it is, I mean, one would be quite astounded at what random time and chance can do, right? <laughs> <laughs> I From their perspective, evolution and natural selection had kind of been out of control, and so you had some humans that were um, less desirable than others. For Darwin himself, he doesn't get into this in uh, Origin of Species, but in his uh, Descent of Man, his second book, it's very eugenic. And in Descent of Man, he talked about the, the different races of the world and which ones were better. And you can guess which one Darwin thought was better. That was white males from England. They were the top of the peak. <laughs> so the idea is we're going to take control of evolution, if you will, and create a better man. Uh, there's a lot of assumptions. So the word eugenic basically means good birth is what it means. So we're trying to develop good birth. Uh, the idea kicked around for several years. In the 1920s, it took on a life of its own. But here in the United States, there's a horrible Supreme Court decision, 1926, Buck versus Bell, where Justice Oliver Wendell Holmes said, you know, two or three generations of imbeciles is enough. And they allowed the state of Virginia to sterilize a woman against her will. This is all eugenics. It's horrible stuff. But uh, you mentioned the T4 project. Nazi Germany, the whole idea was we're going to create Superman, this higher level uh, of human race. There's so many bad assumptions in eugenics. One of them is we assume we know what a good human is. Mm. That varies from person to person, right? Uh, from your background and your taste. Let me just be clear, most uh, vast majority of evolutionary theorists today find eugenics extremely distasteful and they're opposed to it. So to their credit, even though I disagree with their worldview, most of them today are opposed to it. However, you still it still pops up its head from time to time. James Watson, who along with Francis Crick won a Nobel Prize for cracking the DNA code back uh, 60 or 70 years ago, a couple of years back, someone was asked him, well, what do you think about a child with Down syndrome? 
he said, oh, if it's diagnosed in utero, abort and try again. Mm. And this is eugenics right there. Well, we don't want those sort of children to be born. In fact, here in the United States, I am told, and I'm taking the sources I get this from as, uh, as being authoritative, that 90% of the cases of Down syndrome that are diagnosed in utero in the United States are aborted. This is eugenics. We, we don't want these sort of children. And if you ask people why they want that, they say, well, we don't want these children to suffer. Uh, if you've ever been around Down syndrome children, they're not the ones that are suffering with their Down syndrome as much as other people are made uncomfortable by them. Remember, mm -hmm. we live in a culture uh, um, addicted to beauty. And, uh, and it's not enough that you're a, a fabulous athlete with a, a fabulous body or a supermodel or something like that. Even when they put you on the cover of the magazine, they've got a computer. To, they have to use computerized to alter it alter it because we still don't think you're beautiful enough, right? <laughs> well, I, I think we need Down syndrome children. And our culture is uncomfortable with Down syndrome children. I'll tell you why they're uncomfortable. They remind us all of our humanity and our weakness, and we need them. We need them to remind us of that and that we are dependent on others. Well, that's, in a, in a nutshell, that's eugenics. Somehow we can create a better human. This is... Um, some of the new technology that has been developed about uh, genetic engineering, there's this new technology called CRISPR, C-R-I-S-P-R. It's an acronym that refers to this fabulously uh, easy way of doing genetic engineering. It has lowered the cost of genetic engineering. It has made it much easier. Well, a lot of people are suggesting now we can use this new CRISPR. I say we, that's humans, right? Sure. Uh, CRISPR technology can be used to improve the sperm and eggs of, of humans and that parents can pass along desirable traits to their children. You can actually improve your children. This reminds do you remember that silly show, The Six Million Dollar Man back in the 70s? Sure, sure. I hear that in the background, we can make it better. We can make it stronger, you know, faster. <laughs> yes, yes. So um, there, there's all sorts of stuff. Uh, tied in with eugenics. So even though many people today won't use the word eugenics because they know that's a nasty term, some of the things going on in science today actually have strong eugenic overtones. We, we've talked about good death, euthanasia, good birth, eugenics. Tie those two together because primarily this, this podcast is going to appeal to those who are, are trying to assist senior adults, trying to help those later. So so what is the problem? If, if, if we make better people from the birth, shouldn't that make life better at the end? Well, that's an interesting, that's an interesting question. So first of all, uh, there's potential for genetic engineering to eliminate some hereditary diseases. Now, God bless, we all would, would want to see things like that happen. If we could somehow make a change in someone's DNA so that they, um, that they, uh, did not have a disease. But the challenge is there seems to be a lot of progress and a lot of hope for treating someone's DNA once they are born to correct a genetic disease. That wouldn't be a change they would track, pass on to their children. There's a lot more moral concern about making what's called a germline change, which means you're changing your eggs and your sperm and what you're passing along to your, to your children because we're not sure how all those changes affect people. And basically we would be experimenting on children yet to be born 
which is a violation of the canon of informed consent, which means mm. someone should voluntarily participate in an experiment. They shouldn't have an experiment forced on them. So I'm optimistic about, in, in fact, a number of uh, uh, very effective treatments have been developed for some hereditary diseases uh, through genetic engineering. So I'm not trying to throw the entire discipline of genetic engineering under the bus. There's a, a lot of good that's coming out of it, right? Sure. But talk sure. about this when it, it comes to senior adults. And there's a concept that I would like to, to put out, and it's called developmental personhood. It is how secular people think about humans. So for the Christians listening to this podcast, when Christians use the word person, they use the word person as a synonym for human life. You just say, yeah, you're talking about a person, human life. And I agree, you should. But for secular people, personhood is very different from human life. And what they will say is only a person gets the right to life. Just being biologically human doesn't guarantee you the life right to life. And so this is how it plays out. And here's the connection between abortion and euthanasia. So at the beginning of life, the reason that many people believe abortion is okay is they will look at a, a child in the womb and they say, well, it might be human life, but it's not a person yet. And so since it's not a person, it's okay to kill it. This is called developmental personhood. Such a person would then suggest, such a human making that argument would suggest that as the child grows and develops, it attains personhood. It grows, it, so it develops into personhood. Now, what they do with that on the end of life is if you can develop and attain personhood on the front end of life, then you can lose personhood on the back end of life. So perhaps someone has a debilitating uh, disease like Lou Gehrig's uh, arteriolateral sclerosis, or maybe they have Alzheimer's or Huntington's or some of these things that we all just fear. All mm -hmm. of us fear. Sure. Right? So, uh, if you have something like that, then as the disease progresses and you lose certain abilities, then some people would argue you then lose personhood. And so that's why they would say euthanasia is okay in some cases because, well, if abortion's okay on the front end because that's not a person, then on the back end of life, euthanasia is probably okay because they've lost certain attributes and they are no longer a person. So this is where Baptists have made a strong stand with which I completely agree. Our statement of faith says, we believe in the sanctity of human life from conception to natural death. And so what we're saying is we reject developmental personhood. We don't think you grow into personhood and we don't think you lose personhood. You are a human being. You are a person from conception all the way to death. And from every point in life, no matter how sick we get, no matter how debilitated we are, we're still treated with dignity at every stage. Yeah, thank, thank you for making that distinction, helping people make that connection. Uh, I want to be clear as I ask the question, I don't want to give the false impression that I believe that. I was just trying oh, to set you, set you up for that. Uh, Dr. Branch, is there anything else that you would like to share that perhaps I haven't asked you today? No, I, I tell you, I appreciate the questions. And I think what I would like to say is, we what I would say to the listeners I have been very involved in ministries, uh, pro-life ministries, Christian life homes, uh, Christian life ministries that are uh, uh, where you have uh, ministries to ladies in a neighborhood and an alternative to Planned Parenthood. I have uh, uh, the Liberty Women's Clinic, which my wife and I have given to for years. We really believe in what they do. It's a, a non-denominational group, but they're friends in Jesus. So what they do is they offer um, 
pregnancy advice to young women, and they urge them not to have abortions, but they also do uh, sexually transmitted infections. They, they deal with those. They do education about that, sexual ethics education, and these are all on the front end of life. And I, in the last 50 years since Roe v. Wade and Doe v. Bolton in 1973, uh, Baptists have been very involved on the front end of life as pro-life. What I would urge the listeners is, if we're going to have a complete sanctity of life ethic, we need to be involved and be pro-life on the back end of life, too. And that's where the Baptist home comes in. And it's ministries like this that we want to support and we want to give money to because it's pro-life ministry. So we're not only pro-life on the front end of life, we're pro-life on the back end of life. And let's do both. Amen. Well, thank you very much. Dr. Branch, how can our uh, listeners pray for you? Uh, anything that, that you might add for, for prayer request? Yeah, you know, I tell you, I appreciate that. I pray for the seminary. Dr. Allen has done a great job leading the school. As you might imagine, in our culture, where, where we're at, a school that says things like, yeah, we don't believe in abortion. We don't believe in euthanasia. We believe in the sanctity of marriage. We believe sex is designed for heterosexual monogamous marriage. You can imagine that there are lots of people who don't like us. Sure. And and so sometimes that can present some difficulties as we try to navigate uh navigate living in the world as a fully accredited institution so just keep us in your prayers that way that we would be uh I, I, and i think the entire school i think all my colleagues would say this that when when we interact with the world that we'd be wise as serpents and gentle as doves mm. right mm. so we need that okay well i greatly appreciate your time dr branch i think yeah you've given some good insights and and some challenges for people to think through like the sanctity of life at the end of life as well so uh, thank you on behalf of the baptist home for joining us today thank you it's been a great joy thank you sir thank you for joining us for this interview today the baptist home has provided christ-like care to the aging since 1913 to learn more about the biblically informed resources and solutions provided by The Baptist Home, go to www.thebaptisthome.org. Again, www.thebaptisthome.org. You will find links to previous podcasts, a growing number of church resources, and detailed information about residential and long-term care communities. Until next time, this is your host, Dr. Andy Brams, asking you to be a voice for the aging.